house, or maybe you don't have a beach house, a lake house, or a place to go this weekend, I don't know. But hey, thank you for being here. Um, uh, my name is Lance and I serve as the campus pastor here and I'm so thankful to be able to, to, to be with you and as we look at God's word together. So I'm going to pray for us and then uh, we're going to look at um, Joshua chapter 6 to uh, together. So Father, we are so thankful and grateful for the time that we have had so far uh, worshiping you through song and, and thank you for... Uh, uh, Kenny and Anna Grace and, and the band as they have led us this morning and just so thankful for uh, the way that they have positioned themselves to serve your church and uh, to serve your people and to draw us into your presence through song. And so, Father, thank you. And Lord, we ask that you would, over the next few moments, that you would help us to have a sensitive heart and mind to what you have to say through your word. Father, we, we, we are here this morning to, uh, to not only celebrate and, and be thankful for the freedom that we have in America and in our nation, but also the freedom that we have in our relationship with you, Lord Jesus, and the freedom of sin and freedom of death. And, and Father, may we be reminded of that this morning as we look at your word together. In your name we pray these things, Jesus. Amen. You may remember, uh, maybe in grade school, maybe in elementary or I think in middle school, I was introduced to this English terminology. I am not an English professional or major at all. My wife reminds me all the time uh, when I uh, ask her to proofread something or even, you know, even after a, like a message like this, people make fun of me for the things I have to say at times. Uh, but there's a figure of speech um, that, that um, has two contradictory words. And this figure of speech is an oxymoron. Do you remember that? Figure speech in, in English, some of you are looking at me like, I didn't learn that. Anyway, I grew up in a small town in Texas and I learned about an oxymoron, come on. Um, but these two contradictory words, apart, they make sense. But when you put them together, it's like, wait, these two things don't belong together, right? These two things don't make sense together. It's just like they shouldn't exist. This word, this phrase, it, it can't be right, but it is. We have a strange, um, you know, uh, language, the English language. And so I'm gonna throw a few of them up on the screen behind me. Uh, for example, uh, found missing. So how can something be found, but yet it's missing, right? How about this one, pretty ugly. Have you ever used that one before? You're pretty ugly. <laughs> Act naturally. How about seriously funny? How about living dead? I think there's a, there's a movie, Night of the Living Dead, right? That doesn't make sense. A same difference. Or how about this one? Plastic glass. How can it be plastic and glass at the same time? Um, how about this? Taped live. Well, for those of you that have been on vacation this summer, working vacation. Or how about this, tax return? <laughs> so we're like, that is false. God, I'm still waiting for that. How about a silent scream? Any of y'all a uh, seafood fan? What about jumbo shrimp? <laughs> or a healthy tan? I don't know about you, but I know that I don't think tans are supposed to be healthy for your body. I don't know. And my favorite one, because I'm a, uh, a Mac fan 
as Microsoft works. <laughs> you know, these phrases, you know, they give us a funny picture of things that, that really don't make rational sense when you think about it. Um, oxymorons, they shouldn't exist, but they do. You can use those in, you know, writing a paper or there's a lot of movies and, and novels and, and plays that utilize this literary, literary, uh, literary device all the time. And, uh, and, and they get away with it, you know, right? It kind of spices up whatever, you know, document that or, or the, 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 the communication that's trying to, uh, you know, portray there. Like, I love the jumble shrimp. Like, how could something that, you know, is, exists to be small, but yet it's, it's defined as being large because shrimp is usually shrimpy, not jumbo, right? Um, you know, sometimes when you think about faith, faith kind of can, can look like an oxymoron as well. That faith may lead us to move in ways that don't make rational sense. That as we follow God, as we, as we walk in, in, in what God asks us to do and, and we live out our faith as, as followers of Jesus, sometimes when we read the Bible, sometimes when I read the Bible, there's things that don't make sense. It doesn't mean that I don't understand it, but when we look at what God has called people to do, Living out faith, sometimes you scratch your head and like, that just doesn't make sense. It's, it doesn't compute to the normal way of thinking or living. I mean, there's a lot of biblical characters that if you read through scripture, you can see this. Like Noah, for example. I mean, can you imagine being in Noah's shoes and, 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 and God telling, you know, you to build a boat in the middle of a desert, right? When there's no rain in sight. I mean, can you imagine that conversation and, and that instruction? Uh, other characters like Abraham and Sarah and, and Peter and Paul, they, they lived a life that didn't make sense to those around them. But for them, because they were following God and because they had a relationship with their heavenly father, they knew that God was going to see through and what he had to say wasn't going to come back void. And so when we read through these stories of people of faith, sometimes for, for me, when I read through stories like this, I, there's something inside of us that wells up inside of us like, man, I wish I had the faith like Noah. I wish I had the faith like Abraham or Sarah or Peter or Paul. And so today what we're going to continue to look at is we're going to look at this story found in the book of Joshua. And we're going to look at Joshua's kind of does-it-make-sense moment that he faces. And Joshua is one of those biblical characters that, um, as a human, that he knew fear. As a human, he knew fear, but he followed God anyway through that fear. See, faith is not the absence of fear, but it's the ability to move through fear to what God has called us to do. And the life of a person of faith often looks like an oxymoron on the outside. Like, this just doesn't make sense. This shouldn't exist. This shouldn't go in this direction, in this way. But it ends up making sense because of the life is depending upon God. And we're going to actually see that in Joshua chapter 6 today. If you've been with us over the last few weeks, we've really, you know, kind of flown through the first five uh, chapters of this book. And as I've, as I've been reading Joshua, and, I, and hopefully you've been reading as well, and if you haven't, you can still, you know, pick up your Bible and read along with us. Uh, but as I've been reading Joshua and listening to Pastor Will and Pastor Parker and Drew and, 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 and kind of engaging in this series, I kind of feel like we're watching a Netflix series, right? 
and uh, or maybe like this uh, action movie or, or because of all the things that have happened within Joshua's story. If you remember in chapter one, the baton of leadership was passed from Moses to Joshua. And so Joshua takes the baton of leadership and then God kind of brings Joshua over here and says, hey, Joshua, I know that they, they, that you're young and that you're human and you're gonna have fear and anxiety, but I want you to be strong. I want you to be courageous when you're leading my people, when you're leading the Israelites. And in chapter two, Joshua sends out the two spies out into the city of Jericho and and the spies were actually hidden by a citizen of Jericho. Her name was Rahab. And so they go and they they, they check out the city and then they make their way back to Joshua and they, they give this report In chapter three, four, and five, um, the Israelites have crossed the Jordan River. They've set up these memorial stones, uh, some in the river and some on the other side of the river in in Gilgal and on the the other side of the banks as as an opportunity to remember and to proclaim God's presence and what he did for them, stopping the water for them to walk through to get on the other side. And also a covenant was renewed to his people. And so now they're looking at the city of Jericho. And so they're on the other side of the Jordan River. They've, they had these memorial stones and they're, they're, they're venturing into what's known as the city of Jericho. And immediately we see in chapter six that God does something impossible. We're gonna look at this together. But have you ever noticed that God seems to strive in situations that appear to be impossible? in situations that appear to be, this just doesn't make sense. Like this is an oxymoron type of situation or type of environment or type of uh, you know, thing that's going on, this moment. You know, as we look back through the Bible, we see God doing unbelievable things time and time again. God is definitely the God of the impossible. He delivered his people from oppression in in, in dangerous situations, um, in amazing ways in the Old Testament. And as you fast forward to to even Jesus, when Jesus came on the scene, I mean, the way that he showed up, no one would ever guess that's how Jesus would come on the scene. And so we're gonna see this truth play out even in this passage in Joshua 6. And so when Joshua and the Israelites, they approach Jericho, they're they're outside of the, the city walls of Jericho, these foreboding structures that made Jericho impossible to breach, impossible to conquer. In Joshua 6, 1, look with me. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. So Jericho was was the city that that Joshua, if you remember, Joshua sent spies in and they, they checked out the city in chapter two to scout out. And based on uh, archeological excavations, we know that Jericho is, is one of the oldest cities in history that dates back to like 9,000 BC. And from this evidence, we could actually begin to have a picture of what Jericho would look like. And so behind me is a depiction of what historians think Jericho could have looked like uh, during this time. And as you see here, I mean, Jericho is pretty sophisticated, right? 
Uh, you see the construction, you can see the, the dwellings, the, the homes that people could have lived in. Um, I mean, it's a pretty amazing city. There's, a, there's an outer wall, there's an, an inner wall. Uh, toward the bottom of the screen of the picture, you see like palm trees there. There's like this fresh water well that they feel like that, that was there and, and people could have fresh water without exiting the, the city. The outer wall is pretty amazing. Uh, the outer wall is, is estimated to be about four and a half uh, feet thick and about 15 feet high. And then there's this uh, toward the, the, the left or right side of the screen are these 28 foot structures that are like these towers that were used to watch and see if enemies were approaching the cities. And so this was a massive structure that they were looking at that, that was before them. The city is estimated to be about six acres in size. So if you were to walk, you know, on the outskirts of Jericho, I mean, who would ever want to walk on the outskirts of Jericho, right? If you were to walk on the outskirts, you would find that it was about a half a mile around. So it's like two laps on a, you know, high school, you know, track. And so in, in our standards, that's not very big, but in those standards, in, that, in, in those days back then, this is a fairly large city for those people. And so uh, they had a, a strong military force. They had a lot of fortifications as you, you can see on the, the image. And so Joshua 6.1, it says, Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out, no one came in. And so the, the people heard about the Israelites, so, so they were barricaded in the city. They barricaded the city, ready to defend it. So Jericho had become a strong fortress. Now, when you think about that, that no one could enter and no one could leave, this is very interesting. When you think about, you know, it kind of begs the question, why in the world would a city that looked like that with a strong fortress and strong military power, why would they, you know, uh, set up the city in a way that no one could leave and no one could enter. Especially when it came to these people that have been doing like a 40-year camping trip out in the wilderness, right? I mean, why in the world did, did that happen? Well, we, we can begin to understand by going back to what Rahab said in Joshua chapter 2. Remember, she was the woman that hid the spies that was a, was a, 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 a citizen of Jericho. In chapter 2, verse 8, look at what she says after she hid the spies. They're up on the roof. It says, before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all that live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for, for when you came out of Egypt and and when you did in Shion and Og, I think that's how you spell, say those words. Anyway, moving on. Um, the two kings of the Amorites, east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. And so Rahab in chapter 2 goes up to the roof and tells these spies that everyone in Jericho, they are freaking out, that, that, that they are melting in fear because of what they have heard of what God has done. 
that he dried up the Red Sea, that they escaped the Egyptian slavery, that God dried up, you know, the Red Sea, and then also he dried up the Jordan River. So they are seeing all these things, and God defeated the two evil kings who opposed his people. And so we, we see the reason why these people fortified the walls of Jericho, because they were freaking out. They were scared. They were melting in fear. But it wasn't because of the Israelites. It was because of their God. See, the power of the Jewish people, that, they didn't have strength. It was in the object of their worship. It was God that did everything. God was their strength. God was the strength, not the people. But see, after Rahab lists all that God was doing, she actually says something uh, pretty significant that I just read, but I wanna point out, it says in verse 11, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. See, what's happening here is, is one thing that Rahab says, as a city, as, or excuse me, as a citizen of the city of Jericho and, and also uh, in a city that has a lot of false gods, what she's doing, she's clearly declaring her faith in the one true God. She's saying, I believe in the God that you represent. And he's, she's declaring her faith in God. After this, she asks for protection from the spies and, and uh, in, in her role and help. I mean, if I was her, I'd do the same thing. You know, this is going to happen. I know that something's going to happen. And will you please protect me and my family? And the spies promise that, that she'll be safe and her family will be safe. And, and look ahead. We're going to look at Joshua 6. Toward the end of Joshua 6, verse 22, it says, Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, Go into the prostitute's house, Rahab was a prostitute that lived there in Jericho, and bring her out and all that belonged to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young uh, men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and her mother, her brothers and sisters, and all who belonged to her. And they brought out, brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside of the camp of Israel. Verse 25. But Joshua spared Rahab, the prostitute, with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men. Joshua has sent as spies to Jericho and she lives among the Israelites to this day. I just, I had to bring this out for just a, it's kind of like a, a side note for just a moment. That is really cool that Rahab stands in a long line of unlikely recipients of God's grace and God's mercy. Not only was Rahab spared from death and her families spared from death, but she was also brought into the family of God and she was able to share in the inheritance that was promised to God's people. Isn't that amazing? And that's what God offers to us. See, her story serves as like this group encouragement, if you will, to all future generations of outcasts and no-names and sinners of all sorts. And you can put your name in that slot right there. That God's grace extends to all types of people. In fact, the grace of God is most clearly seen when he saves and transforms lives like Rahab, who otherwise have no hope. What I love about Rahab's story 
as you see that she is in the lineage of Jesus Christ. It's such a cool thing that God does through, through Rahab and, and one that you just, you have to stop and kind of, kind of camp out and kind of soak that in a little bit. So let's go back to the spies. They report uh, the Jews to Joshua and they cross the Jordan. And so now they're going into Jericho and, and God lays out a plan for them for how Joshua and the rest of the people, how they're really gonna deal with this city that they're looking at and, and, and they're you know, kind of in the shadow of. And so as you hear these words and, and as you, I want you to keep in mind what Jericho looked like, all right? I want you to keep in mind with the outer wall, the inner wall, the, the four and a half foot thick uh, walls and, and the, the 15 foot you know, uh, walls and the 28 foot tower and, and the structure that Jericho looks like but I also want you to keep in mind who Joshua was and the strong leader of the Israelites. So look with me in Joshua chapter 6, verse 2. It says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, have de- see I have declared Jericho, excuse me, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men, and do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns uh, in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. And when you hear them, excuse me, when you hear uh, uh, them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up. Everyone straight in. So this is the battle plan that God lays out for Joshua. This is the playbook? I mean, does does God forget who Joshua was? I mean, Joshua was a warrior. He was one of 12 original spies that Moses sent over and and, and gave back a favorable report. Joshua was faithful. Joshua was, was strong. Joshua was courageous. Joshua was this incredible, great Leader. I mean, it, you know, thinking about Joshua, he probably had plans in his mind of how he would attack and he would confront this city, right? I mean, good leaders make plans and he was probably thinking, well, maybe, maybe we can go in through this gate or we can go over this wall or under this wall. And so he probably, as a good leader, already had plans in his mind, in his heart, how he would lead his people to conquer this city. But this is the plan that God gives Joshua. He says, Joshua, you're gonna walk. You're gonna be part of a walking club. (laughs) Remember those? You're gonna be part of a walking class and you're gonna walk, you're gonna take a leisurely walk around the city once a day, six times, six days. And on the seventh day, you're gonna do it seven times And then on the seventh time, you're going to blow trumpets and you're going to shout. And then the walls are going to come down and there's going to be powder everywhere. I mean, just stop and think about that for a second. Instead of fighting, instead of having this incredible battle that I envision in my mind, God told the Israelites that you're going to be in a walking class and a marching band. Which, by the way, I've been a part of both of those. You want to know, don't you? (laughs) 
My senior year in college, I had a few credits that I had to identify and uh, in order to graduate. I met with my advisor, and so we worked out this plan. I'll never forget going home, and my parents didn't, they, they, they cared, but I, you know, I would share with them kind of the, the plan for the year and what this semester looked like and what this semester looked lo- look like. But I'll never forget me sharing with them that my senior year, in order to graduate, I joined a walking class in my college. Yeah, I could have done, you know, this sport or that sport, but no, I chose a walking class. And I remember my, my parents were like, you know, there's like, what are you thinking? Is this your plan? Yes, I had a great plan. Because I also found out that if you join this walking class, it was a Tuesday, Thursday. So usually Tuesday and Thursdays, those classes are what, about an hour and 15, hour and a half long, right? I heard that you can take the walking class and you can run what you're supposed to be walking. And so I would show up at eight o'clock that morning, find out that I had to walk this distance, you know, that distance. Our final in the class was walking a mile. That was our final. And by the way, there was actually a textbook that I had to buy for the walking class. I was like, are you serious? I had to read about walking. Chapter one, take your right foot. Wait, this is my left foot. (laughs) Chapter two, take your other foot. Chapter three, just keep going, right? What I did. And so I found out, I I tested it. So day two or three, I was was giving it a little bit. Not the first week, I wasn't going to go crazy. But I found out, I asked the coach or the, the professor of the walking class, hey, do you mind if I run the half a mile that, or whatever, or we had to walk like the, the lap around the, the lake. She's like, no, go ahead. So I ran, and guess what I did? I left, and I went back to sleep. <laughs> the next time I had the class, the same thing. I had a great plan. Now, my parents were like, this is your senior year. What are you doing? It was, it was an easy A, right? Anyway, and also I was in band growing up in high school, and so I was in marching band as well. So I was a drum major of the marching. I was the nerd of the nerds. No offense if you were a band nerd, but you know, you got to know one, you got to call, you got to be one to know one, right? Anyway, but this was their plan. This was God's plan that he gave to Joshua. You're going to be a part of a walking class and you're going to be a part of a marching band in order to take that city that you're standing in front of and you're standing in the shadow of. That's probably impossible to take. But how did Joshua react? He reacts with immediate obedience, no pushback, no, are you serious, God? There's gotta be another way in order for us to do this, right? But God was sending his people out to march and then on the seventh day to sing and shout. I mean, no one could use this strategy, but God was ready to do the impossible. So right after God uh, gives Joshua, hands him the playbook, Joshua immediately turns around to the priests and he starts telling them, okay, here's what we're going to do. Can you imagine this huddle with these priests and, and, and these, uh, these warriors that, that he had in this army? Can you imagine the huddle that he had? And he starts giving the orders of what they're going to do, the exact specs, uh, specifications of what God laid out for them. The priests, you're going to carry the ark. You're going to carry the presence of the Lord in front of everyone. 
And in verses 12 through 16, you can read that later on your own, what, what Joshua tells them. But you see Joshua and the people carrying out the plan exactly the way that God designed it. No fighting, no threats, no intimidation. Just walk around the city. And on the seventh day, the seventh time they walked around, they blew trumpets, they shouted. The four, foot, four and a half foot wall, uh, thick wall fell. The 15 foot high walls fell. They turned to power. Uh, powder and the Israelites walked into the city and captured the city. Just like we've seen over and over and over the last couple of weeks, this is another example of the power of God. That nothing can get in his way for him to accomplish his will for the good and for the good of his people. You know, I think it's encouraging for us to see how crazy obedient this kind of oxymoron, this, 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 this doesn't make sense scenario, you know, that we're looking at together. How God designed this. And Joshua's faith led him to move in a way that didn't make rational sense. Like to gather and to, to do this walking and to do this shouting and, and to think, okay, this is really going to happen. This plan didn't make sense. It was a lot of faith to execute that plan. That Joshua gave, that Joshua had. Joshua probably had doubts and fears about fighting the way that God had him to fight. And, you know, there, there's times for us that, that God caused us to move despite of our doubts and fears, to, to journey ahead into the impossible that we feel like that it's impossible. And that's what Joshua and the Israelites did. In their faith, they saw the walls come down. But there's a verse that we read earlier that I want to highlight, I want to go back to in, in, uh, in verse, verse 2 in this chapter. Look with me in, in Joshua 6, verse 2. Verse 1 talks about Jericho. Verse 3 talks about the plan. But what's amazing is what, what God says to Joshua here, what he says in verse 2. Then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho in your hands along with its king and its fighting men. So this is right before the walking plan. And what's incredible is what God says here, that I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. I mean, can you imagine just that one sentence and how that one sentence would have done for Joshua and the people hearing that? I mean, that would have meant everything looking at what they were about to tackle, looking at the city that was right in front of them. Because what God pretty much told them is, listen, the outcome has already been decided. <laughs> The outcome has already been decided. I've handed them over to you. All you have to do is demonstrate your faith in what I've, what I've said. And you do that by doing this. You put your faith into action. You get to walking and you get to shouting and let me take care of the rest. See, Joshua's obedience seems, you know, seems to make a little bit more sense now when you look at that one verse in chapter, or in, in verse two in chapter six, because he had the assurance of God's word of telling him, Joshua, this isn't even a battle. Centuries later, there's gonna be little kids at VBS singing the song, you know, Joshua fought the battle at Jericho and they're gonna be completely wrong. So if you ever sing, sang that song in VBS, you were wrong. Because it wasn't a battle. This was something that God completely gave to Joshua 
And he said, just walk around and it's going to be yours. See, what we see here is really important. We see that faithful obedience is fueled by the assurance of God's word. That faithful obedience is fueled by the assurance of God's word. See, as followers of Jesus, this assurance doesn't come from us just, you know, really, you know, knowing what's going to happen in our lives. It doesn't come from knowing the outcome of every little or big moment. It comes from looking at what God says to us through his word, through his book. And the truth is, we don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what next week holds. We don't know what next month hold, holds, but God does. God knows what's going to happen. And God is always working, not necessarily to give us everything we want, which is, which is actually a good thing because I don't necessarily want the right things all the time. But God is working to grow in our love and our dependence on Him. See, before one step was taken by any of the people of Israel, before one trumpet was blown, before one shout was even shouted, I don't know if that's even the right word, <laughs> they had the assurance from God's word to them. And what they had to do was act in faith to respond to what God had already said that would be given to them. And that's exactly what happened. The walls of the city did not fall because of the Israelites' military proudness or because of the brilliance of their plan or it didn't fall because of how loud that they, drew the, they blew the trumpets or they shouted. It fell because of their obedience to the word of God in faith. You know, God does the impossible through people of faith. Sometimes it's easy for us to fall into the trap thinking that we don't have much, much of a role to play into the events of our lives, whether big or small. And, and there's many people that believe that, that we don't have much in determining the outcome of God's work. Because if God wants something to happen, then it's just going to happen. It's just going to, he's going to make it happen. God can do the impossible, yet through the Bible, we see him using people to accomplish his plans. It's pretty amazing. God can do what he wants, but for some reason, he sets up through scripture, you can see him setting up him accomplishing his plans through people. And he wants his people to live by faith and, and follow him into the impossible. Uh, you see this as, uh, as an example in Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews 11 in the New Testament is a chapter, it's referred to kind of a hall of faith. If you want to take a snapshot of, of kind of some, some big faith uh, uh, journeys and, and, and people that responded in faith and God moved through impossible situations, read chapter 11 of Hebrews. It's like the great of the greats, all right? It's like, the, uh, it's like the best of chapter. And, and this event that we're looking at in, is, in chapter 6 is in chapter 11 of Hebrews. It's one simple sentence in Hebrews 11, verse 30. Look at it with me. Pure and simple. Hebrews, after the army had marched around them for seven days. That's it. God's people acted in faithful obedience to the assurance of God's word to them. 
See, the conquest of Jericho shows us that nothing can get in the way of God accomplishing what he says he will do. If God says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. But what's incredible about God and, and, and what's incredible and, and oftentimes of how he works is that God accomplishes his will in this world through the obedient faith of broken and sinful people. Isn't that amazing? That God accomplishes what he desires to see happen in this world through the obedient faith of broken and sinful people. I mean, think about it. God could have accomplished what he did in Jericho in a whole different way. I mean, the plan could have been, look, Joshua, look at that city. Poof. Everything's in powder. Without marching around, without doing the, the, the walking class, the walking club, or the marching band, God could have accomplished all that just by saying. But God's plan was to have the people that he had chosen. God's plan was to have the people that he had chosen to, the, to be a blessing to the world, to demonstrate their faith in him by being obedient to his word. And because of the faith of God's people, God showed up and God worked. You know, far too long, and I find myself thinking this and, and living this way, you know, looking at Moses and Noah and, and Joshua and Abraham and Sarah and maybe, you know, Peter and Paul and different characters in the Bible. And I think, well, their, their life is just an exception, right? I mean, they're in the Bible. You're not going to see Lance's name, Lance in the Bible, right? I mean, they're in the Bible. They made God's word. But what if, what if those are the kinds of lives that God intends to be normal? Think about that for a moment. The lives of Moses and Noah and Joshua and Abraham and Sarah and Peter and Paul. What if God uses their lives and, and he shows us through his words that this could be a normal way of living? What if these are the kinds of lives that God says, you know, when you obey me, great things can happen. The impossible can happen just through your obedience. And all of those characters that I just listed by name were broken and sinful people that God used. See, following God means walking as these people did, by faith. And God gives us the opportunity to walk as Joshua did, and he gives us, you know, great ways to, to, to tackle the impossible through us if we just take up the invitation. And he had already given them assurance of the outcome. You know, he said, again, in, in Joshua 6, 2, that I've, I've already handed you the city. I've handed you the kings. I've handed you the soldiers over to you. Now, Joshua, just demonstrate your faith by doing this one thing. Just get to walking. Just get to obeying what I've said. And this is how God works in our lives as Christians and as, as followers of Jesus. In the scriptures, we see that God has given us the assurance of things that truly matter. And, and what matters, the most important in our lives is as, as broken and sinful people that we can be put back into a restored relationship with our Heavenly Father. That we have an opportunity to be put back into a restored relationship with God. 
that we can be confident that God will continue to draw people to himself and give people new life in him by faith in Jesus Christ, that we have that insurance, that we have that assurance from his word. And if you are a follower of Christ, if you are a Christian, that's what Jesus did for you. God saved you not by your own merit, nothing amazing that you did, nothing amazing that you said, but God saved you because he drew himself to you, that he opened your eyes to the sin that you have in your life and he showed you the beauty of Jesus and the forgiveness of that sin that comes by believing what Jesus did for us through the cross and through his resurrection. See, that is the gospel. And see, this is the plan that God has revealed that we can have full assurance of the outcome that when we put our faith in him, that we have full assurance that we can have a relationship that goes beyond this life that we're in right now. And that the plan when accomplished through obedient faith of broken and sinful people, that when we share that plan to the world filled with broken and sinful people, that God shows up and he changes lives and he does impossible right in front of us. See, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, someone shared Jesus with you, right? Someone told you um, who you were, that you were separated, that someone told you about someone who did something about it and, and what happened, your life was changed. And this is the plan that God laid out for us in his word. And so, and it, just like we see in Joshua 6, we demonstrate our faith today by doing exactly what God has told us to do, by believing the gospel ourselves, by sharing the gospel with others, and by loving others as we love ourselves. You know, the final thing that Jesus talks about before he ascends to heaven in Matthew 28, uh, just after he resurrected from the dead and spent some time with his followers, and right before he ascended to heaven, in Matthew 20, 28, he gave the great commission, which says in verse 18, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the in name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely... I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, do you, do you see how similar this breaks down to what God told Joshua? First, you have the assurance. And then there's a call to action. See, before Jesus tells them to do anything, he assures them. He says, listen, I have all authority. All the power and all the authority is in me. And so what I want you to do, I'm going to work out the salvation. I'm going to change people's lives. But all you need to do is to lean into the fact of the assurance that, that I have all the power, I have all the authority, and take that into the world. And let me do the impossible in the lives of people around you. Because through Jesus, the impossible happens. By our own merit, by our own life, by our own actions, we cannot save ourselves. We cannot be rescued from sin and death. That is impossible. But through Jesus, it is possible. 
And he gives us that assurance of that a possibility that that can happen when you take a step and you trust Jesus. And so here's the question for today. With this assurance of God's word as our foundation, what does faithful obedience look like for you today? What does faithful obedience in God look like for you right now? Maybe it's believing the gospel for the first time and becoming a follower of Jesus and becoming a Christian. And to become a Christian is simply to understand and believe that you are separated from God and, and because of your sin. And there's nothing that you can do, there's nothing that you can say, but to realize that, that as you repent and turn from the sinful nature that God will forgive you and he will make your life new. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Maybe for those of you that are believers and, and followers of Christ, what, is it, what does it look like to have faithful obedience for you today? Maybe for you, it's realizing I need to turn back to God. It's so easy. I, I, I'm so easily wandered and, 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 and move away from our relationship with God. And maybe it's, it's realizing that and, 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 you know, we're prone to wander. And it saddens me is how, how often I lose sight of Jesus and I lose sight of the gospel and I lose sight of my relationship with my heavenly father. But maybe today it's realizing that's where you are and taking a step of, of deciding I'm gonna, I'm gonna move in a direction that, that, that positions my life to put my focus and trust in him. Maybe for those of you that, um, that man, it's taking the assurance of God's word and going out into our community, going out into your jobs, going out into your family and sharing that assurance and letting God do the impossible through you to change lives in your world, in your circle of influence. I know this last year has been challenging for a lot of us uh, with you know, the pandemic and racial unjust, the tension political climate. Um, but I truly believe that it, in the dark seasons, that's when the gospel shines the brightest. And he wants to use you, he wants to use I, he wants to use us, he wants to use the church to shine the light of the gospel. And when we take that step, will you be committed to that this year? Will you pray with me? Father, we are at awe <laughs> of how you accomplish what you accomplished through the plan that you presented to Joshua. And it was only your plan, not his plan, but your plan. And it was through his faithful obedience that he saw you move. And so Father, this morning, as we take the assurance of your word, as we take the assurance of the gospel, Father, I pray that we would take a step. And maybe there's someone here this morning that, ne that needs to take a step and trusting you for the very first time. 
Your word says that if we confess our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God, you raised him from the dead, that we will be rescued, that we'd be saved, that we'd be forgiven. And so Father, maybe someone today needs just to, in the quietness of, your heart, of their heart or maybe even out loud, just verbalize their need for you. Father, there's many of us here that, that, that love you, that, that have a relationship with you. And Father, I pray that we would be reminded of taking those obedient steps. Even though we may not know the outcome, but we can lean into the assurance of what you have spoken to us through your word. And Father, go before us. Continue to use us and continue to change the lives of people around us. In Jesus, in your name, we pray these powerful things.